17. Hear a just cause, O Yahweh, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart, you have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have proposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I will call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings, from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity, with their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps, they have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Yahweh, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Yahweh, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me... I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Exodus 3, verse 14. Good day to you this day, which is Thursday, January 13th, 2022. I am Pastor Neil Wemus, and this is your daily scripture meditation. Uh, today we are going to be in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. So let me get that onto the screen for you. So if you remember last time we had read, we had read about the birth and with the, announce, the announce, announcement that Mary would be pregnant with Jesus and that Elizabeth would be pregnant with Zachariah. So I know this is a repeat from a month ago, but here we are. We're going to write in it again. So verse 39, it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, 
for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the, that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. They made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted to be, him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke. Blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was upon him, was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of his salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is our scripture reading for the day. <clears throat> we switch over to our reading from the Book of Concord. So Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, as it is pro produced by Concordia Publishing House. And today we are going to be reading from the preface of um, the small catechism. So we're going to see how far we get into this. I think we might be able to read all of it today, but we'll, we'll see how far we get. 
It says, Martin Luther, to all faithful and godly pastors and preachers, grace, mercy, and peace in Jesus Christ our Lord. The deplorable, miserable condition that I discovered recently, when I, too, was a visitor, has forced and urged me to prepare this catechism, or Christian doctrine, in this small, plain, simple form. Mercy! Dear God, what great misery I beheld! The common person, especially in the villages, has no knowledge whatever of Christian doctrine. And unfortunately, many pastors are completely unable and unqualified to teach. This is so much so that one is ashamed to speak of it. Yet everyone says that they are Christians, have been baptized, and received the holy sacraments, even though they cannot even recite the Lord's Prayer or the Creed or the Ten Commandments. They live like dumb brutes and irrational hogs. Now that the gospel has come, they have nicely learned to abuse all freedom like experts. As you're noticing, Luther is not tame in the tongue. So, and believe me, as we read this, he's writing this to Germans in the 16th century. I guarantee it, this could be spoken to us. O oh, bishops, what answer will you ever give to Christ for having so shamefully neglected the people and never for a moment fulfilled your office? May all misfortune run from you. I do not wish at this place to call down evil on your heads. You command the sacrament in one form and insist on your human laws. And yet at the same time, you do not care at all whether the people know the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, the Ten Commandments, or any part of God's Word. Woe! Woe to you forever! You can't tame, not tame. And remember, this is the introduction, the preface to Luther's small catechism. That book that every single member of the Lutheran Church is required to learn before they are confirmed, before they take communion. This is the preface to it. We don't read it very often. It's very good to read it. It's scorching. Yes, it is hard to read. But it's an indictment that we need to hear and understand how important these things are. So continuing here. Therefore, I beg you all, for God's sake, my dear sirs and brethren, who are pastors or preachers, to devote yourselves heartily to your office. Have pity on the people who are entrusted to you, and help us teach the catechism to the people, and especially to the young. And let those of you who cannot do better take these tables and forms and impress them, word for word, on the people as follows. In the first place, let the preacher above all be careful to avoid many versions or various texts of, and forms of the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, the Sacraments, and such. He should choose one form to which he holds and teaches all the time, year after year. For young and simple people must be taught by uniform, settled texts and forms. Otherwise, they become confused easily when the teacher today teaches them one way and a year some other way, as if he wished to make improvements, for then all effort and labor that has been spent in teaching is lost. So this is why we use one translation of the Bible. 
So for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, it's the English Standard Version. It's for the sake of teaching. This is why we stick to, we don't often change the translation, the catechism. Has it been changed? Yes, but very sparingly. Again, this is to keep it so it's simple to memorize it. Our Blessed Fathers understood this well also. They all used the same form of the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and the Ten Commandments. Therefore, we too should be at pains to teach the young and simple people these parts in such a way that we do not change a syllable or set them forth and repeat them one year differently than in another. Therefore, choose whatever form you please and hold to it forever. But when you preach in the presence of learned and intelligent people, you may show your skills. You may present these parts in varied and intricate ways and give them as masterly turns as you are able. But with the young people, stick to one fixed permanent form and manner. Teach them first of all these parts, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and so on, according to the text, word for word so that they too can repeat it in the same way after you and commit it to memory. But those who are unwilling to learn the catechism should be told that they deny Christ and are not Christians. They should not be admitted to the sacrament, accepted as sponsors at baptism, or practice any part of Christian freedom. They should simply be turned back to the Pope and his officials, indeed to the devil himself. Furthermore, their parents and employers should refuse them food and drink and notify them that the prince will drive such rude people from the country. Now, some of that stuff doesn't totally apply to our culture because we don't live in a we don't live in a culture where Christian the Christian faith is front and center. But again, he is showing how important it is to know the commandments, the creed, the Lord's Prayer. And by the way, when he's talking about the commandments, he's not including the meanings. He just means the commandments themselves. Although we cannot and should not force anyone to believe, we should insist and encourage the people. That way they will know what is right and wrong for those among whom they dwell and wish to make their living. For whoever desires to live in a town must know and observe the town laws because he wishes to enjoy the protection offered by the laws, whether he is a believer or at heart and in private a rascal or rogue. In the second place, after they have learned the text well, teach them the meaning also so that they know what it means. Also, again, choose the form of these tables or some other brief uniform method, whichever you like, and hold to it. Do not change a single syllable, as was just said about the text. Take your time in doing this, for it is not necessary for you to explain all the parts at once, but one after the other. After they understand the first commandment well, then explain the second, and so on. Otherwise, it will be overwhelmed so that they will not be able to remember anything well. In the third place, after you've taught them this short catechism, then take up the large catechism and give them also a richer and fuller knowledge. Here enlarge upon every commandment, article, petition, and part with its various works, uses, benefits, dangers, and injuries as you find these abundantly stated in many books written about these matters. In particular, 
urge the commandment or part that most suffers the greatest neglect among your people. For example, the seventh commandment about stealing must be strongly urged among mechanics and merchants and even farmers and servants. For among these people many kinds of dishonesty and stealing prevail. So too, you must drive home the fourth commandment among the children and the common people so that they may be quiet and faithful, obedient and peaceable. You must always offer many examples from the scriptures to show how God has punished or blessed such persons. In this matter, should, you should especially urge magistrates and parents to rule well and to send their children to school. Show them why it is their duty to do this and what a damnable sin they are committing if they do not do it. For by such neglect they overthrow and destroy both God's kingdom and that of the world. They act as the worst enemies both of God and of people. Make it very plain to them what an awful harm they are doing if they will not help to train children to be pastors, preachers, clerks, and to fill other offices that we cannot do without in this life. God will punish them terribly for this failure. There is great need to preach this. In this matter, parents and rulers are now sinning in unspeakable ways. The devil, too, hopes to accomplish something cruel because of these things. Again, he is scorching. I'll give a little bit of background probably uh, next week as to why he's talking like this. But anyways, last, since the tyranny of the Pope has been abolished, people are no longer willing to go to the sacrament, and thus they despise it. Here again, encouragement is necessary, yet with this understanding, we are to force no one to believe or to receive the sacrament, nor should we set up any law, time, or place for it. Instead, preach in such a way that by their own will, without our law, they will urge themselves and, as it were, compel us pastors to administer the sacrament. This is done by telling them, when someone does not seek or desire the sacrament at least four times a year, it is to be feared that he despises the sacrament and is not a Christian, just as a person is not a Christian who does not believe or hear the gospel. For Christ did not say, leave this out or despise this, but do this as often as you drink it. And other such words, truly he wants it done and not entirely neglected and despised. Do this, he says. No. There are some people, and make a little comment here when it talks about at least four times a year. There was a history in the Lutheran church where they would only commune people. They'd only offer communion four times a year total. That is not what Luther is telling you to do. Luther actually believed that communion should be offered daily if possible. He definitely doesn't want that little. What He, he, is, he is telling you that you, ha you should have 52 opportunities at least every year to receive the Lord's Supper. And if you cannot receive it at least four times, your salvation is in question. That's what he's going to. All right. Now, whoever does not highly value the sacrament shows that he has no sin, no flesh, no devil, no world, no death, no danger, no hell. In other words, he does not believe any such things. Although he is in them up over his head and his ears and is doubly the devil's own, 
On the other hand, he needs no grace, no life, no paradise, no heaven, no Christ, no God, nor anything good. For if he believed that he had so much evil around him and needed so much that is good, he would not neglect the sacrament by which such evil is remedied and so much good is bestowed. Nor would it be necessary to force him to go to this sacrament by any law. He would come running and racing of his own will, would force himself and beg that you must give him the sacrament. Therefore, you must not make any law about this, as the Pope does. Only set forth clearly the benefit and harm, the need and use, the danger and the blessing connected with the sacrament. Then the people will come on their own without you forcing them. But if they do not come, let them go their way and tell them that such people belong to the devil, who do not regard nor feel their great need and God's gracious help. This is actually why people get removed from membership after a while. You are get, they, when somebody has refused to receive the Lord's Supper for sometimes years, when you remove them from, from the roster, from the membership, you're basically telling them, you, you're just saying what's already happened. They've already given themselves away from Christ. They've already committed a life where they don't want his goodness. By removing someone, you're just acknowledging what's already reality. Here we are in paragraph 25, it says, But if you do not urge this or make a law or make it bitter, it is your fault that they despise the sacrament. What else could they be than lazy if you sleep and are silent? Therefore look to it, pastors and preachers. Our office has now become a different thing from what it was under the Pope. It has now become a serious and saving office. So it now involves much more trouble and labor, danger and trials. In addition, it gains little reward and thanks in the world. But Christ himself will be our reward if we labor faithfully. To this end, may the Father of all grace help us, to whom be praise and thanks forever, through Christ our Lord. Amen. So there you go. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would lead pastors such as myself, to be faithful in the teaching of your word. We pray that you would lead your people to receive the Lord's Supper, to gladly hear your word, to know, gladly become, gladly become familiar with the teaching of what it means to be a Christian, to gladly receive the gospel and the means of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Again, when it will belong, so know him of the week. Blessings on your day.